Father, we rejoice in the fact that we give glory to you and that you are deserving of all glory. Now, Lord, I pray that as we run to your word that you would lift up our hearts. Lord, I do pray that through the preaching of your eternal words that we would be drawn to you. And, Father, that we would look to you and learn of you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak now and encourage our hearts. Lord, for those who may not know you, I pray that today would perhaps be the day that they discover who you really are and what you really offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please be seated and turn with your, in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. If you're at home, take your notes. Hopefully you've been able to print the notes um, at home. If you don't have notes here in the Grove, you can run uh, to the end information table right here in the center and get them. All of our young people are, need to stand up that are ready to go first through third grade. Go ahead and go with Miss Laura. She's ready for you. They have a special Bible lesson for you as well. Um, so go ahead and go with Miss Laura. Okay, so how many of you on the way here, I'm interested to know, how many of you on the way here pulled out of your front of your house or your neighborhood and you noticed something different on the road? How many of you noticed that? There was a haze, right? I mean, it, it was like a, a great haze. Now, some of you have, haven't been out of your house this morning. Let me just say to you that early here on Sunday morning, the day after, the morning after 4th of July, there's this massive haze over Hollywood and over South Florida. It sounded indeed like a war zone in my neighborhood last night. I don't know about you, um, but it was anything but peaceful, right? Here we come to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, and we have a great example of what peace is and what peace is not. Well, last night, it was a time uh, that was anything but peaceful. Um, we saw birds running around, flying around, uh, trying to get shelter, and uh, it, was, it was a crazy time. You know, the world is hungry for peace. The world is longing for peace. We live in a world where there's not a lot of peace. Whether we have the anxiety and the concern of corona or the loss of it, the sorrow of it, or whether it's because of a contentious political climate, um, perhaps in the United States, maybe in other countries too. There's, there's other countries that have intense political battles going on right now. Or there's great unrest socio sociologically, um, that there that there is a, we, we discover this fissure, this, these wounds that are there that, that still greatly need attention and greatly need to be healed and, and that the world is actually headed in the wrong direction on that. And, and we, we see this lack of peace in that regard. What about China and India right now? Two nuclear powers that have been at a DEFCON 4 or 5 type level of tension. Um, that's hardly gotten any news, but let me tell you that the news cycle could change in an instant. North and South Korea in a si similar detente. We've just been through years and years of struggle and strife in the Middle East with, with great tension that comes out of Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and Central Asia and various other places. The Israel-Palestinian hostilities that have gone on for decades that have, we, we, we talk about, you remember, through all of these years, they keep talking about the peace process. You know, this isn't something new. Um, back in the years of the Cold War, I remember, I remember reading about a story, and some of you um, are very young, and you may not know what the Cold War was all about, but this great tension between the Soviet Union 
and the rest of the Western world, Western Europe and the United States, a massive tension that developed after World War II. And during that tension, there was the constant threat of nuclear war. Um, some of you are older than me, and you remember um, bomb drills. You remember um, all kinds of drills that would be done at the public school. We didn't have those when I was growing up. Those had, had come to a stop by the time that, that, came, that I, I came along. But I do remember hearing about a couple in the late 1970s that sold their business in England for a large sum of money. Um, they had worked very hard, they had built a business, and they sold it, and they sold it for several million dollars, and they started looking at their retirement, and they were saying, man, we just want to be somewhere that's peaceful. We just want to be somewhere where there's not all of this tension, and where, I mean, we, we think that war could break out, and we don't want to be in the midst of that, and so they hired some people that were part of their business, and they, they said, help us determine where we should retire to. So they did a lot of research, they did a lot of looking into things, and they said, well, in light of all of the things that are going on up in the Northern Hemisphere and all of those troubles, we, we believe the Southern Hemisphere would be better, and we believe a coastal place that would be very nice, a chain of islands that would be beautiful, and, um, and really part of the British system. So they said, will move in 1981, they said, we'll move to the Falkland Islands. Now there's a few laughed, laughs here because young people, in 1982, there was a great conflict that was called the Falkland Island War. And this couple had built a beautiful wood frame house on the ocean overlooking the meadows leading down the Atlantic Sea, the Atlantic Ocean. And by 1982, in the summer of 1982, a large armed personnel carrier had made its way through the back of their house into their living room and it was hiding there. And they were experiencing anything but peace. Even with all of the resources, even with all of the research, even with all of the plan, we can make our designs for peace. Some of you are making your designs for peace. You're, you're seeking to, um, to, to build your home. You're seeking to build your retirement. You're seeking to build your life, you're, maybe your business or your career. And you're thinking that, well, you know, if, if I can work on this and work on that, and I can develop this so that I can have peace. Friends, I want us to look this morning at God's peace process. God's peace process doesn't have to do with the socioeconomics of your power to make money. It doesn't have to do with the, the fostering even of your own family. It doesn't have to do with all of the things that, that we can affect in our change and in our life. The God's peace process is very, very different from the world's. And so this morning, what's it's going to kind of cool here is if you look at our text, we are looking at Philippians chapter 4. When we've already had a whole sermon on verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, and now we come to verse 7. But this morning, as part of the review, it all fits together. And maybe you haven't heard one of these messages yet. You're going to get a compilation of all of them, and it all fits together because verse 7 is the culmination of verses 4 through 6. Verse 7 is the result of verses 4 through 6. So just kind of look at that. Verses 4, 5, and 6 are leading up 
to the result of verse 7. Let's read the text, and I'm going to ask you to read along at one point so you kind of be ready to do that. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4. This is in the box at the top of your page. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is a hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, let's read it together. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to see that verse 7 is saying, here's the result of 4, 5, and 6. And, and so, you could almost put there, and so, the peace of God. And as a result, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's remember from verse 4. Fill this in. Number one, decide to rejoice. If you want the peace of God, you need to learn to decide to rejoice. You don't wait on the feeling you don't wait on the Barbara Streisand idea. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. You know, that, that, that whole picture, I mean, that we, we don't let our feelings run the train. We let truth run the train. It says decide to rejoice, and here's the key word here, always. In the good times and in the bad, we by faith come to rejoice in the Lord. You see, we do this, fill it in, we do this by discipline. This is a spiritual discipline that you learn to rejoice in the truths of God. You learn to rejoice in God, but it's also by faith. It's by faith in what you're learning of God and who he is and what he has promised to you that you can come and you can say, I may be experiencing difficulty now, but I know that my God has all things under control. Look with this look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to do what? It is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and then underline this and that he rewards those who seek him. Notice two things in Hebrews 11, verse 6. First of all, that faith pleases God so that when you are rejoicing in the midst of your troubles, listen to this, this pleases God. And we see this very actively throughout the Bible. We see that, that Daniel continues to worship God in the midst of persecution. We see that Joseph continues to be God's voice in the midst of all of his trouble. Think about Paul and Silas having been beaten with rods and thrown into the inner prison. What are they doing about midnight? They're singing praises to God. And then what happens? An earthquake that shakes the doors off the jail. Friends, those, those realities of what we are told happened in the first century are to encourage us in the midst of our trouble. And so we, we see that this faith pleases God and it moves God. Are you going through hardship? Are you going through turmoil? Are you hurting and nervous and anxious? Friend, by discipline and by faith, 
rejoice, decide to rejoice. And here's what the beautiful thing is, if you haven't filled it in already, faith not only pleases God, but God rewards faith. Many, many times I've been on the phone with, with many of you and I have shared Hebrews, the end of Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it's because that verse just gets me. And it says, it, it, look, look what it says there. He is a rewarder or he rewards those who seek him. Friends, the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming and his reward is in his hand. And he actively works on behalf of those who call upon him. He rewards our faith. So the first thing, if you want God's peace, is it starts with deciding to rejoice always. Look at the next one. We see this one in verse 5, chapter 5, or excuse me, Philippians 4, verse 5, and it's the first part of the verse. That's why there's a little a behind the letter five, or the number 5 there. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What this means is, number two, be gracious. Be gracious. And it's not just be gracious, but it's be gracious to, and here's the difficult part of that, to everyone. Are there people in your life that you don't feel like being gracious to? Yes. There are, are there times when you're under pressure? Are there times when you're annoyed? Are there times when somebody is hurting you and you, and you really aren't very motivated at the moment to be gracious? But we look to Jesus. We look to the one who, when being reviled, did not revile in return. We look at his example that he accepted far less than he was due he laid down his life. Several of you have, um, in the course of the last couple of weeks, as we've talked on the phone or whatever, um, many of you have said, well, yeah, I, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? How are things going? You know, what's going on with your family? What's going on with this issue or that issue? And maybe if, if one of the pastors are on the phone with you, it may be because, you know, you've reached out, you're struggling with something. And uh, just yesterday, I spoke with another person, and they said, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm still learning to accept less than I am due. You know, that, that, that's a difficult thing. But yet we see the shining example of Jesus in this. Be gracious. Be gracious with everyone. You see, this means having peace with others. And when you have peace with others, God's peace is within. Fill that in. Having peace with others brings God's peace within. But having turmoil with others brings turmoil within. You know, there's some people that just go from contention to contention to contention. They've always got a problem with somebody. And I want to encourage you to really evaluate your life, look at your life and say, am I one of those people? Do I kind of run from being mad at somebody all the time? Am I on the outs with somebody all the time? That could be a life-changing question for you. If you really want to know the answer to that question, you may want to just look to your spouse or look to your, your brother or your sister or look to your children and say, am I a contentious person? Do I just kind of go from one struggle to the next, rotating around with the people in my life? You see, part of the peace process is that God knows that he has called us to not only have peace with him, but to have peace with other people. And he, the amazing thing is that when we come to a place of peace with him, he gives us the power to have peace with other people. Uh, you can just put down there Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 just reveals that to us, and it's because the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can truly love people as they need to be loved. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. We see this echoed again from the great book of Hebrews. Strive for peace. What is this? In fact, let's read this out loud. And I mean, clear your voice. I want to hear you through your face mask, okay? Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. It goes with this. Be gracious to everyone. Let's read Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, these things are linked together. Peace with everyone has to do with how holy you are. Peace with everyone has to do with being close to God and like God. Number three. Number three is we need to remember, and we see this in chapter four, verse five, B, that little phrase, the Lord is near. We need to remember that the Lord is watching. The Lord is watching. Not only is he watching, but he's also returning. You remember with me that we talked about the fact that the Lord is near, and it can either go with the phrase before it or it can go with the phrase after it. We're not sure which one was in the mind of Paul or the Holy Spirit, but the great thing is it goes with both. Either you can say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, be gracious to everyone because God is watching. Or you can say, hey, the Lord is near. You don't need to worry about anything. And so both of these work. And notice this, we have these because we need to be accountable. We need to be accountable to God. And not only do we need to be accountable, but we also need to be encouraged. And so if you want God's peace, you need to recognize that deciding to rejoice and trust in God, being gracious to the people that are around us, and remembering that the Lord is watching and that he is returning, he is coming again, this is part of the way in which human beings who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ can find peace in this earthly life. Notice here with me that this idea of being accountable and encouraged is emphasized um, throughout Jesus' teachings and in his parables. Matthew chapter 21 talks about the wicked vineyard tenants. And the idea is that, that there's a tenant owner and he puts people in charge, excuse me, there, there's a vineyard owner and he puts people in, in charge of his vineyard and there are wicked tenants that come in and they don't take care of the vineyard. They don't do what they're to do in caring for the owner's property, the owner's people is what we would see this is really looking to as God is rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the religious day as Jesus shares this. He's saying, you have trampled down the vineyard. You've broken down the wall. You've not cared for my people. And there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a reckoning for our lives. We see that over and over again in Matthew um, and in Mark and Luke. But also Matthew 25, we see there's the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. You see, there, there, there are some who are very aware that, hey, he's coming, but we don't know when, so we need to live ready. We need to be ready. And the idea is, is that when a groom was coming back into town for the wedding, that they would wait, and they would, they would wait with earnestness in preparation because immediately there would be the wedding that would occur. And there were some bridesmaids that they didn't bring enough oil to keep their lamps lit, and, and that there were others who did. They came ready. And we are called to be accountable and be ready, to be encouraged, to be ready for the returning of our Lord. So if you want God's peace, live in a way that's ready. 
you know, the time to get ready for the day of the car wreck is not on the day of the car wreck, right? You live your life seeking to be um, trusting in God, growing in maturity. So when, when life happens, when trouble comes, when the sudden thing occurs, that you say, well, how prepared can we be for that? Well, I, I would just say this, is that you learn to walk with God, we learn to be able to trust him, listen to this, in all circumstances. And so this is part of the picture of having the peace of God is looking to him throughout the process of each day, waiting upon him with, uh, with a knowledge of what he has said in order to be prepared for him. Number four, how do we have God's peace? And this is all in verse six. Instead of worrying, pray about everything with a grateful heart. Instead of worrying, pray about everything with a grateful heart. Now, the world, when it is looking at trouble and, and in our flesh, we are, we are prone to just do the first thing, to worry. We are just prone to be anxious. We got these problems with our business or we have these problems with our health or we have these problems with our family. We have these problems with our children. We have these maybe issues around us in life. And we're just, we, we tend to maybe problems at, at our work and we, we can just focus on that and we can worry about it and we can obsess about it. But the Bible says, no, if you're God's child, when the troubles of life are coming at you, when the struggles and the unknowns of the future are coming at you, you're, you're called not to be anxious about it. The Bible explicitly states here, look what it says in verse 6, and do not be anxious about, what does it say? Anything. But in, here's the other extreme, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Here, here's part of what I want you to see. This first bullet point there underneath this is, focusing on problems only creates more problems. When you focus on problems, your anxiety level goes up, your health goes down, your rest goes down, your patience with the people around you goes down. I mean, Marcy can tell when I'm focusing on problems because I, I struggle to be joyful. I struggle to be happy. I struggle to be easy to get along with. I mean, that's just the, the reality of the flesh when we are not looking to God in the midst of our problems, when we are not spending time with God, as Pastor Jason prayed, when we are not having devotional time, we, 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 need, to, we need to take the time to look to him in his word. You see, it just simply creates more problems. But when we, number two, when we, the second bullet point, when we focus on the problem solver, this leads to peace. You see, God is the one who can solve the problems and so when we, we're called to look to him, in Hebrews it says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You don't fix your eyes on the problem. That just makes matters worse. What we're called to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the problem solver. Now here's the amazing thing also about this verse. It's, it's helping us see this, that focusing on God's blessings leads to greater faith. You see, when you begin, as we looked at last Sunday, we, you remember we ended with that great old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will, how's it go? And it will what? Surprise you what the Lord has done. 
You start to remember the works of God. You start to remember what he's done. And that remembrance of what he's done in the past can get you through the present and help you deal with the future. And so, I mean, these verses are so beautiful because they're showing us decide to rejoice, be gracious, remember that the Lord is watching, he's near, he's returning, and instead of worrying, pray about everything with a grateful heart, remembering what he's done. And if you do these things by his grace, you will enjoy God's peace. Now, I want you to see this with me. That this ultimately is all God's work. This is the sovereign work of God in his children. If you do these things, it's because God has enabled you to do these things. Let me remind you of John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus says to us, without me, you can do nothing. And so even these, out, these outline in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, the picture is, is that this is all under his grace anything good, any gift that we enjoy is because of his grace working and moving through us. And so in verse five, or number five, I want you to fill this in, we enjoy God's peace. Look what it says in verse seven. So in light of verses four, five, six, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yes, indeed, this seems to be a quid pro quo. This seems to be a picture of you do this, you get that. That's the beautiful part of what God tells us in his word, how we can have his peace. Notice here with me, fill this in. Notice that this is God's peace that we get. Can you circle those two little words up there in verse seven, right underneath number five, where it says, and the peace where? Of God. This isn't the peace of the world. This isn't the peace that you've conjured up in your heart. This isn't the peace of, isn't the peace of money or success. This isn't even the peace of children who are a blessing or, or some inheritance that you might get upon the earth in, in some way. This is the peace of God. And notice this. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus is speaking, and he says, peace I leave with you. Now remember with me, John 14, this is the night before he goes to the cross. This is the night before he lays down his life so that we can be his children. He, the, the night before he's saying, peace I'm going to leave with you. My peace, circle those words, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because he gives his peace. Now, if you look at John 14, you will see that right around this, above and below it, he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming to us. And so it is God's presence that brings his peace. Jesus is directly promising and relating the fact that we will have his spirit living with us, living in us, empowering us. And where God's presence is comes for his children comes his peace. Notice with me, this isn't the world's peace. You see, the world has a false peace. Uh, as I've mentioned, there, there's, there's things that people can have and things that people can do that they, that they think that this is going to be a false peace. I mean, think about the poor British couple that moved to the Falkland Islands a year before the Falkland War. But you, you can think about the poor guy that works all of his life 
and he makes quite a bit of money, but he's so deceived into thinking that his money is going to bring peace to his heart. And then he gets to the end of that road, and he's very frustrated. I, I remember growing up that we would take little boat rides um, here in Fort Lauderdale. And, you know, you could ride along, and you could say, wow, you know, John Wayne used to own this house, and, you know, Marilyn Monroe lived over there, and Malcolm Forbes built that house, and this and that, everything else. And my dad would always remind us, kids, you just need to know, you just need to know that the people who live behind these walls very often are even more anxious and more sad and more depressed and more upset, not always, but very often, because they have the added reality to them that they've discovered that this world really can't give me any peace. I mean, you know, somebody who doesn't have all this doesn't realize they kind of, they're still gunning for that, they're still aiming for that, but he's saying these people recognize there is no peace that this world can truly offer. Friends, notice here the false peace of the world. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 14. These were false religious leaders like many preachers in this present day and time. These were false religious leaders lying to God's people. And notice in chapter 6 verse 14 he says in Jeremiah, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace when there is no peace. Here's the idea that judgment was coming upon the nation of Israel. Judgment is coming upon God's people and the preachers are saying what the people wanted to hear. Oh, there's no judgment coming. There's no judgment coming. You, you, you can relax. Peace, peace. <laughs> and the armies were on their way. You see, that's what a false prophet does. A false religious leader will tell you, you're fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Just, you know, look within yourself, you know, just kind of pull it together a little bit. You know, and what we would say is, no, the truth of God is, if you want peace, you got to come to God. And you got to come to God with your heart whole open before him. You've got to come to him in faith. You've got to come to him in submission. You see, Isaiah 48 verse 22 says, there is no peace for the wicked says the Lord. There simply is not. The only way to have peace in a fallen world is to be in the one, be right with the one who restores all things and restores true peace. So the first one is, notice that peace is God's peace that is promised. The second one is, notice that this peace cannot be explained. Look up there at verse 7 with me. Again, look at verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. This peace cannot be explained. You cannot understand this peace. And why? You cannot understand this peace except by or through the understanding of the power of God. Because it's only the power of God that can override the circumstances of a fallen world and bring peace in the midst of it. Now, Jesus was seeking to teach his disciples that, and listen, he was seeking to teach us that because he had a whole plan to write down everything that happened with the disciples or many things that happened with the disciples, and so we benefit from their experience. And, you know, I, as I was reading about this and thinking about, I, I love these accounts of when Jesus calmed the sea. I just love it. One, because I love the sea. I, I love being on the water. I love being in a boat. And um, there's, there's been times when I've seen the sea very, very calm, like a sheet of glass, and it's kind of amazing. And then there's times when I've seen the sea rage, and it can be so different. 
and it can be incredibly dangerous. In fact, of course, there's many circumstances in a very small boat like, like my family has that you would, you would die uh, very quickly because of the, of the great tempest of a hurricane or the great tempest of a storm, bad weather. And, and so I, I, I love the power that is seen in that. But as I think about these accounts, you know, the disciples were with Jesus and they would see a lame man and they would, they would see Jesus deal with a lame man. And then they would see Jesus deal with a blind man. And then they would see Jesus deal with various circumstances with other people. And they, they were experiencing and seeing these things. But Jesus hadn't done anything kind of on them. They weren't lame. They weren't blind. They weren't deaf. You know, they, whatever. But early on, if you, if you look at the narrative of Jesus' walking with his disciples, being with them for those three years, Jesus allows them to experience his power, and he does it in a boat. He, he lets them know what it feels like for him to move on their behalf. I want you to think about it with me. They're in a boat, and, and this happens a couple of different times in, in the Gospel of Mark, but notice here with me in uh, Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. On that day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So they're going across the Sea of Galilee uh, because of the way the mountains are, wind can come on it and the storm can, uh, it can suddenly uh, come up on it very quickly and easily. Look at verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took with them, uh, excuse me, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. So he just said, hey, let's go over the other side. They hop in the boat and they're gonna go several miles across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And, on the, and the other boats were with them. But look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So water's coming in. So that the boat was already filling. Verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, I love this. Read what they said out loud together. Can you read verse, end of verse 41? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, now they were starting to, it wasn't just the layman, it wasn't just the blind man that experienced his power. Now they are experiencing it themselves. They're experiencing his salvation. They're experiencing his power. And they're saying, who is this? Friends, God's peace cannot be explained. And the right answer is the question that they were asking, who is this? You see, this was God. And they're figuring out this is God. And the only way that this kind of stuff happens is because it's God. For the storm in your life, the way for you to have peace, the only way that you're going to truly have peace is that it's going to be God showing up and giving you the peace that he can give. It cannot be explained except for the power of God. Look at the third one we get out of this little verse. Notice the third bullet point there. Notice that this peace has real staying power. Where do we get that from? Look what it says. That he gives this peace regarding, surpasses all understanding. 
will guard your hearts and your minds. It will guard your hearts and your minds. This is real staying power. This is the ability to stay. You see, the first arrow point there says, God's peace has the power to tame your raging emotions. He says that this is for your hearts. And very often when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the emotion, the feelings, the seed of the soul where we are, we're dealing with fear and anger and sadness and regret and resentment or bitterness. All of these things are no match for his peace. His peace can overflood them and overwhelm them. His peace can neutralize them. Not only does his peace tame our raging emotions, but his peace has the power to tame our racing thoughts are racing thoughts. Have you, have you been through a struggle and your mind just races? You can't seem to stop it? I want you to think about the last time you had a pretty good crisis. Your mind is running a thousand miles an hour. And maybe, maybe even after you start to realize it and maybe after hours or days or whatever it is, you start to say, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta stop this. I, I, I can't continue to allow my mind to run like this in you and you just it just keeps coming back you see notice these words maybe we're analyzing constantly the issue or the problem or the struggle maybe we're obsessing about it maybe we have these great concerns that we just we we remain with a heavy heart we're thinking through all the possibilities we're thinking perhaps through all the scenarios how many of you, when you have a problem, you, you immediately start thinking, okay, if this scenario, I'm, I'm, I would do this. This scenario, I would do this. This scenario, I would do this. Now, you know, the, wise people think ahead. There's no doubt about that. But when problems invade our hearts and when we are gripped by these things, how about this, responses, how many times have you had a problem with someone and all you think about is what you're going to say? You're sitting there thinking about, I'll, I'll do this, I'll say that. And, I, you know, and, you, and you can spend all of your energy and your mind races with responses. Friends, is the Bible not so good to us? Is God's word not so good to us that it deals with us and who we really are? Look at verse 7 up there at the top of the page. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, you can't even explain it, will guard your hearts and your minds. This is the beautiful picture. It stays, it stays, and it guards. And what does it do? It guards them in Christ Jesus. It keeps us in him. God's peace holds us fast in him. Notice at the bottom of the page there, notice that this peace is anchored in Messiah who saves. Do you see that phrase at the end? In Christ Jesus. Now, some of you who are new to us, you would say, well, wait a minute, I thought his name was Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't understand. You need to understand that Christ is a title and Jesus is a name. Yeshua means Jehovah saves or Yahweh saves. And so when we, when we see Christ Jesus, it's saying 
the anointed one, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the, the picture that this is the Messiah. So where you need to keep your mind is in the Messiah that can save you from your sin and save you from the condemnation of it and save you from a world that is lost in sin. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, very similar to Philippians chapter 4 in some regards. Look at verse 15. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. And let the peace of who? The peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, it's the same idea. It's guarding. It's ruling. And, and the idea of the ruling there is the, the verb that is used there is a Greek verb that has to do with like a referee. A referee in the games would, would blow the whistle or, or make the noise and declare out of bounds or declare in, inbounds. There would be a ruling about this. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let this be that which says what is inbounds and out of bounds in which you were called in one body and look what it says and be thankful verse 16 let the word of christ dwell in you richly this is why you need to be in the word if you want god's peace you need to be steeped in his truth some of you wonder man why am i so anxious or why am i so frustrated why am i so blah it could very well be that you've just not been hearing the eternal truths of god You've been allowing all the messaging of the world and you've been, listen to this, you've been allowing the messaging of your own heart and your own mind and all of these obsessive thoughts or all of these anxieties or all of these worries run and rule in your heart instead of letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Instead of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Friends, the Word of God can bring great peace to your soul. The Word of God can soothe all of your hurts and it can calm your fears. Why would we ignore such a glorious resource as God's own truths working in our hearts? And that's part of the question that I have now. If you're watching online, look at the, the, the screen. Why would you continue without God's peace? Why would you do that? Are you tired of running? And I ask that of you, all of us this morning. Some of you have been running from anxiety to anxiety, from turmoil to turmoil. And what you need to do is instead of running from all of those and, and, and looking to all the things of the world, if you will just run to Christ, you can find his peace. It's a peace that can't be explained. It's a peace that cannot be interrupted. It's a peace that can, cannot be taken. Look at Isaiah 26.3. You keep him or you keep the one in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We don't talk like that anymore. That's kind of the King James a little bit. It's one way to say it. it's, it's fixing your mind. It stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, the Hebrew word for keep 
from Isaiah 26.3 is equivalent to the Greek word guard that we find in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. It's the same idea. Look up there at that little verse, 26.3, Isaiah 26.3. You keep the one in perfect peace. Look up at verse 7, just above that in the box, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard. Circle that word guard. Same idea, keep. He will keep you. And here's the reality I want you to see, Sheridan Hills. The reality is, is that God wants his children to be kept, to be kept in his powerful peace. This is abundantly clear. God's design for you is to be at peace. Right out there to the side, Psalm 23. Remember, maybe, maybe some of you have heard Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I'm his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not, I'm not going to have any needs. I'm not going to have anything that isn't met. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does it say? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside what? Quiet waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. I want you to just kind of think about Psalm 23 and think about the, the good shepherd of our Lord Jesus and think about all of the language from Isaiah to Philippians that's saying that God wants you to stay in his peace. He wants you to experience his peace. You don't need to go run around in all of your anxiety. One of the greatest things that you may need to do is go home today and just turn off the lights in the bedroom and get down on the floor. If you've got a dirty floor, get a clean towel. Put it down. And just go down and be down before the Lord and let him speak to your heart. And, and to purpose not to get up until he has spoken. You know, Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's faith that God loves. When was the last time you got down and listened to God? Spent time in his word and just, just read over his word. Maybe sometimes it's, it's over the sermon notes. That's fine if you don't know where else to start. I mean, it's pretty good, God's word for you today. Maybe it's, maybe it's reading over the, the truths that we've looked here or maybe it's going back to key places in the, in the Psalms or key places in the Gospels where you come and you let God's word wash over you. And you confess your sin to God. You confess your lack of faith to God. You confess your anxiety to God. And whether you're confessing it as sin or as weakness, either way, let it go. Let God speak. Let his peace come. How many times have I been in great turmoil, been in great frustration, very often with myself, but sometimes with the world around me and I run to the quiet place of being with God and I stand up and I have an unexplainable peace. The circumstances haven't changed. What's changed is my heart before God. Christian parents teach this to your children. Teach them to run to God for his peace. Teach them how to do this. 
in order to teach them how to do this, you have to know how to do this. And the way that you learn to do this is by doing it. Notice the last statement here. Leave the prison and turmoil of your own unbelief. You see, that's what causes the problem is unbelief. And find the rest that God freely gives to all those who trust in him. Find the rest. Jesus says, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know why? Because he comes and he bears the yoke of your life with you. Unless you're obstinate and you decide to go it alone. Friends, repent of unbelief. Repent of a lack of discipline that refuses to rejoice in God even in the hard times. Repent of not being gracious to others. It's easy to be gracious to the people you want to, but am I gracious to everyone? That's what God's called me to do, even my enemies. Call out to him in prayer with thanksgiving and then enjoy the peace that he gives. I want us to close this morning by singing a hymn I want us to close by singing one of the greatest hymns I think that's ever been written. And it comes from Isaiah 26.3. That's the primary place that it comes in. It was written by a lady named Frances Havergal. And she lived in England. She lived a short life. She didn't. She, she died when in her 40s. Notice here with me. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Think about a river, a river rising, a river growing. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth, fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth, deeper all the way. Isaiah 26, 3, stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Look at what she wrote in verse two. Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand, never foe can follow, never a traitor stand. You see, when you're in the center, what's the hollow of his hand? It's right here in the palm of his hand. He says, I hold on to all of mine. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of what? Hurry. Aren't we so often hurried? Not a blast of hurry. Touch the Spirit. Not talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about your spirit. Talking about you. Touch the Spirit there. Praise team, go ahead and come on up as we look at verse 3. Everybody look at verse 3. Every joy or trial... So the good times and the bad falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the sun of love. Here's the idea of a sundial. Now, we don't know much about sundials in this day and time, but if you've ever seen a sundial, you see that the sundial has this angle on it, and as the sun goes over, the shadow goes around on the sundial. 
So look what it says here. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of love. We may trust him fully, all for us to do. They who trust him wholly find him wholly true. Children, that wholly means, W-H-O-L-L-Y means fully. It's another word for fully. They who trust him fully find him fully true. Father in heaven, we come to you and we thank you that you're so gracious a God that you know the conditions of our fallen hearts, you know the condition, Lord, of our need for your peace. Lord, that you come and redeem us, you rescue us, you, you make us saints on high, but even though we're saints on high with you, through the power of Christ, Lord, we still experience struggle in this life. And here you've written to us how to have your peace. Father, I pray that this morning that we would lay down the anxieties that we've held on to. I pray that we would lay down the perhaps rebellion in our hearts. We've not had your peace because we've not had your presence. We've not been in your presence. We've not sought your presence. Oh, Father, I pray this for myself and I pray this for our church family that we would be a people, God, who are truly close to you. That we would say the nearness to God is my good. I have made the Lord my trust that I may tell of all his works. With your head bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I just want to ask you, what are you going to do about this? Maybe you need to run to God and just say, Lord, forgive me for my lack of being with you, my lack of reading your word, my lack of time and prayer, my lack of worship. If you've looked to other things, if you have looked for other pleasures instead of him seeking to fill that void, just confess that to him. and ask for his help. The Lord loves it when his children ask for help. He is mighty to save. He is quick to hear. And he loves to rescue. Father, thank you for being so good and gracious a God. Thank you for being filled with wisdom and knowledge about us. That, Lord, that we can trust you. That we can find that you are wholly true. So, Lord, help us to experience your peace and your grace that we may glorify you all of our days in Jesus' name. Would you stand together and sing, Like a River.